read just one verse of scripture this morning and you're hearing the 11th verse of the 12th chapter of the book of Acts. While you turn there to Acts chapter 12, I do want to say what a great honor and high privilege it is for my wife and I to be here with you at River of Life today. We have certainly looked forward to getting to come and, and to be with each and every one of you here today. And I'm, I'm glad I came to church on Sunday morning. Anybody glad you got out of bed and came into the house of the Lord? Amen. I certainly want to give honor to your pastor and his wife and their family, brother and sister Little. We love and appreciate them so very much. And I don't say it just because I'm a guest and, and it's protocol, but uh, we say it out of the deepest part of our heart. We truly count it a privilege to stand in this pulpit today and minister the word of the Lord to you. We have such great respect for the leaders that God has blessed you with. And um, I hope you realized how blessed you are. Amen. Amen. What a great work God is doing through them and each of you in this city. And we thank the Lord for it. We do have a table in the foyer. Um, I'm not going to recite the, the litany of things we have back there, but... We do have several CDs. Uh, my wife wrote a book last year, and it is out there for sale. If you uh, would, would like uh, or be interested in any of that, we invite you to come by, and we pray it would be a blessing to you. It's always good to see Brother Merrick and his wife. God bless you. We give you honor in Jesus' name. Acts chapter 12, verse number 11. Anybody going to help me preach here for a few minutes this morning? I know I'm the new guy, and it just, it tends to set people uh, at ease when they know, especially when a new guy is in the pulpit, and, and, and they don't know his mode of operation, and, and the elephant in the room is, how long does this guy preach? <laughs> but let me just set you at ease. I do have my, my uh, timer up here, and I do know what time it is. It's 11.20. And I didn't eat a whole lot of breakfast, so the good news is I'm just as hungry as you are. Somebody say amen. Amen. But I do want the Lord to have his way for just a few minutes as we endeavor to feel after his will. And, and I, I do believe there is something marvelous that God desires to do over these next few minutes. The greatness of God's spirit that has manifest, manifested itself already in this service, I don't believe is at all the height or the climax of what God would desire to do in this service. So how about we just agree together that over these next 30 or 45 minutes, we'll just let God have his way. I believe a miracle could happen today. If you've never received the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, I come with good news. This could be your day. In fact, I believe it's God's will. Everyone who has not received God's spirit, it's God's will that you receive the spirit of the Lord in your life. Amen. Amen. If you've not been baptized in Jesus' name, what a good day. What a good day to be baptized, taking on the name of Jesus in baptism. Praise God. Praise God. Acts chapter 12, verse number 11. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord, hath sent his angel and hath delivered me 
out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people. We'll look more closely at this great story recorded in the 12th chapter of Acts. Yet here in this 11th verse, Peter is, I picture, standing in the street, darkness all around him, the wee hours of the morning, as we would say in Oklahoma. Uncertain, a little dazed, I'm sure, from his sound sleeping and the sudden interruption of the angel of the Lord. And while Peter can't articulate every little detail and while he can't quite explain everything that has taken place over the last few minutes, Peter says, this I know. It was the Lord that that delivered me. It, it really wasn't anything that I did. It, it wasn't anything that any human man can take credit for. But I got to this state of freedom because of the Lord. I want to preach today for just a few minutes on this subject. Greater than Agrippa. Greater than Agrippa. There in that 11th verse, he's just called Herod, but... Other places in Scripture, he's referred to as Herod Agrippa. So I preach today greater than Agrippa. If you're going to help me preach, would you shout amen? God bless you. Thank you for standing. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. Following in the footsteps of foul, evil men like Pharaoh, Saul, Ahab, Haman, Herod the Great, and Nero, who had both proudly and publicly played the opponent against all things that were pure. King Herod Agrippa set himself against God and stretched forth his hand to vex the church. At the beginning of this 12th chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, we read that Herod Agrippa had killed James, the brother of John, with the sword for no other reason but that Herod Agrippa might make happy those Jews which despised both the memory and the message of Christ along with his rapidly growing church in the earth. Therefore, uh, to to wring out as much popularity as possible. We read that Herod proceeded further to take Peter also and put him in prison. His intention was that he would hold Peter in prison until after the Passover peace feast was completed and at that time he would bring Peter forth and put him to death. I, I want to remind you that 14 years prior to this moment, when sent by Jesus to aid John in the preparation of the Passover feast, it was Peter who boldly declared unto the Lord, I am ready to go with thee, both into prison and unto death. And now these 14 years later, 
it seems as though Peter will indeed be forced to fulfill his own words as, as prison will soon give way to the bitter pains of a martyr's death. I am quite sure that Peter had his own share of feelings as he sat in that stone cold dungeon awaiting his trial and death. But consider with me the urgency that must have settled upon the church. After all, one preacher had already died and now another preacher sits on death row. If Peter is beheaded, surely someone asked the question, who will be next? One commentator said this, if the shepherd can't stand against the lion, who will guard the sheep? The situation is quite clearly desperate. The odds had been stacked. The narrative had been set in motion. And there was no amount of human ability or physical strength that could turn this tide. No degree of intelligence or, or critical thinking could revert these circumstances. No persuasive argument would do. No political manipulation would be enough to, to coerce Herod Agrippa and bail this preacher out. No program, no system at all could outcome, to, could alter the outcome of the inevitable. It would clearly take someone greater than Agrippa to turn this around. It would take something greater than the guards that stood at Peter's prison. It would take something stronger than the chains which bound him. In fact, I well believe the church understood God's going to have to get involved. And I come to preach on this Sunday morning that have not all of us that sit in this room today found ourselves on the stone cold floor of life feeling as though there is no way out of our dilemma. Who here has not been trapped in a spiritual prison with no visible means of escape? Have not all of us felt hopeless to change the circumstances that are at hand? We have all feared that which seems to be final in our lives. Who here today, no matter, no matter what your story, your background, or appearance may be, who here among us today has not looked into the dark dungeon of despair and wondered if God had finally found it within himself to forsake you? I rise today on this Sunday morning to declare that when hope seems to have dissipated and when help seems to have departed, I love what Peter would later write in his second epistle saying this, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of of temptation. 
That tells me I don't always know how, but God knows how. I don't always see the way, but God knows the way. I very often times do not have the answer, but God always knows what we have need of, and He is the answer to every problem of life. And though it be simple, though it, though it be one of those verses that we, that we quote quite often, it's true, with God, all things are possible. I submit to you today that against every lie of the adversary, there is one greater than Agrippa. He, ladies and gentlemen, is before all things and by him all things consist. The Old Testament said this, he changes the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He in the beginning John said was the word and the word was with God and the word was God therefore establishing the truth that before any earthly king wore a crown or wielded a scepter or sat on a throne God almighty was ruling and reigning over everything from darkness on day one to dust on day seven. From the very beginning, God has always been greater than man. So I would tell someone today, is there a foe that has formed against you? Get God involved. There's some impossible circumstance that you in all of your greatest strength can't overcome. Get God involved. Is there some sin that with all of your self-discipline you just can't seem to get to avoid? You need to get God involved. Is there a, is there a dark cloud that hovers over you? Is there a trouble that, that has burdened you down? Is there a fear that has sucked the life out of your faith? I come with a simple message today. You can't depend upon yourself. Lean not unto thine own understanding. What you need is to get God involved. Is there a mountain you can't climb? Is there a valley that you can't walk through? Is, is there a river that you can't cross? You, what, what, you, you don't need any more uh, self-help treatment. You, you, you don't need any more uh, of the things this world cannot. You need to get God involved. You need a God involved that is greater than that which stands in front of you. The Bible says that on the last night, before Peter was to be put to death, Acts 12 and verse 6, Peter was sleeping. Now that's a sermon all in itself. You're going to die tomorrow, but Peter can sleep tonight. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains. And the keepers before the door kept the prison. I like this next part. And behold, the angel of the Lord 
came upon him. Ladies and gentlemen, even two soldiers, even two chains, even the keeper of the prison couldn't keep God from showing up. All of those things had been set in place as safeguards. I'll refer to it a little bit more later on perhaps, but those were all safeguards put in place by Agrippa himself, ensuring that Peter would not escape. In so many words, Agrippa had done his best work to make sure that Peter's escape was in no means possible. Yet, yet when the enemy had done his best work, God showed up. I, I believe that's just kind of how God operates. When the enemy does his best work, that's when God does his best work. <laughs> it seems that God God tends to get the most glory when things are the darkest. God can show forth his power in immeasurable ways when it looks so bad that we struggle to even believe that it's possible through God. But this God that I preach to you today it matters not how dark. It matters not how, how dire your situation may be. There is nothing our God can't do. There's nothing. There's nothing He can't do. God, when, when the Lord sent that angel to visit Peter, He didn't need an escort to lead him through that prison and find Peter's cell. He, he didn't need the hospitality of the prison's finest keeper to show him the way. To take it, to, to take it a step further, God, when he sent that angel into the cell, the Bible says that the angel of the Lord smote Peter on the side to wake him up. Yet, the soldiers were out cold. Never did one soldier intervene in the commotion of Peter being released from prison. Now, pardon me if it sounds a little, little elementary, but God didn't need sleeping pills to take care of the guards. An angel would slap Peter and wake him up, but the others in the same room would be out cold. God, God didn't need bolt cutters to unfasten Peter's chains. Now, I, I, I'm from Oklahoma and Rednecks down there, they would use a cutting torch. Forget the bolt cutters. God didn't need a cutting torch to loose Peter from the chains that were fastened unto his body. 
God didn't even need the jailer's key in order to open up the door because God is not dependent on any material thing. God is not dependent on human means. Hear me today. God can do anything. I would preach on this Sunday morning that he still has the power to break chains in your life. He still has the power to push back darkness that has held you captive. He's still got power to open wide your prison door. He's still able to silence the voice of your adversary. Anybody still believe God is able to answer prayer in 2021? There's nothing our God can't do. Not only that, but there's no place God can't go. This angel that had been sent from God did not show himself in the palace of King Agrippa. The angel didn't show up in the holy place of the temple that Pastor was talking about just a few moments ago. The angel did not reveal himself to one of the many travelers that had come to Jerusalem for the celebration of the Passover feast. The angel didn't show up to one of the elite and the prestigious of society, but rather the one man whom the angel of God had been sent to see was a man sitting on death row. Shut up in stone walls, asleep on a cold floor, bound with iron chains. Yet it establishes the truth that it does not matter where and in what condition life may leave us. There is no place that God cannot go. Amen. I don't know who it is I'm preaching to. Maybe just one person here today. But would you hear me when I tell you God will go to any depth. God will reach into any pit. God will walk through any fire. He'll push back any river. He'll open wide any prison door. He'll break any bond. He'll destroy any addiction. No matter what your life looks like, no matter how deep in the depths you may be, you can never go so far that God can't find you. In fact, however far you've gone, that's how far God will go. However far. But I must, I must help you understand today before I'm done that God, God not only did in Acts chapter 12 what only God can do. But the church also did what only they could do. 
desperately needing God to intervene. We read that the church turned to the one thing they could do that was guaranteed to get God's attention. Bible says Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing. I imagine Herod Agrippa was feeling pretty good about himself. I've had him in there six or seven days now. He ain't got out now. He's not going to get out. That preacher's going to die tomorrow. Yet little did Herod know that his manipulative evil scheme was being directly contradicted and would soon be unraveled at the seams before his very eyes. It, it, it was not being unraveled by, by protests outside the prison. Not by inciting riots or, or radical behavior. I, I'm talking about Acts 12, not 2021. Don't, don't, get, don't get mistaken. <laughs> Start talking about riots and protests and you think I'm out of the Bible. It wasn't by human force. Not by any kind of military might, but from the home of John Mark's mother, there came an opposing force. A force that has been belittled, a force that has been discredited, a force that has been taken for granted. There came an opposing force against Herod's evil agenda that was far more powerful than any Roman chain or guard. I mentioned it a moment ago, but Herod had done his very best to ensure that nothing could go wrong and Peter would never escape. Peter was placed in the inner prison I believe that King James uh, uses the terminology that uh, he was in the second ward. With not, not just one, not just two, but scholars believe that there could have been as many as 16 soldiers rotating on shifts to guard this preacher. Two chains were fastened to his body. Two soldiers on either side of him The iron gates locked and bolted. Preacher Pete will never get out now, Herod Agrippa must have said. Every conceivable means of escape had been secured. Every possible way that someone might break free had been guarded. All except one. Ladies and gentlemen, Herod failed to consider the power of prayer. Because it's true, ladies and gentlemen, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man faileth much. One translation said, it is full of power. Oh, 
I'm at 25 minutes, but I feel like preaching. Our enemy may forget, but God forbid you and I ever forget what prayer is able to do. Ladies and gentlemen, when there seems to be no way out, prayer is that one thing that can always conquer your enemy and get God involved. Prayer is not the last thing we do when everything else falls through. Prayer is the best thing we can do. What spared Daniel from the lions? Prayer. What enabled Elijah to hear the sound of an abundance of rain? Prayer. What called fire down from heaven on Mount Carmel? What empowered Samson to pull down that Philistine temple? What caused God to give Hannah a son? Ladies and gentlemen, it was prayer. And I come preaching today that what is able to get God's attention in the midst of your trouble is one prayer of faith. Do you need deliverance on Sunday morning? Pray. Do you need a miracle? Pray. Do you need victory? Pray. Do you need loose? Pray. Do you need dominion over that spirit of darkness that has oppressed you? Pray. Do you need direction? Pray. Undoubtedly, that, that great preacher did his fair share of praying. And I, I'm going to hit this very quickly and move on. Peter surely did his fair share of praying. But while Peter was locked in prison, the people of God were locked into a spirit of prayer. Peter was in prison but the church was in prayer. And I submit to you, ladies and gentlemen, that is how the church is supposed to operate. Paul told the Galatians, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I understand that we all come into one building, but we've all got different stories. We come from different places. We have different backgrounds and testimonies. Therefore, we all face different challenges. There's all kinds of different obstacles that we all face. Amen. And they're all different. Therefore, I may not be in what you're in today, but I I can be in prayer. I may not be facing the same thing that you're facing, but I can be in prayer on your behalf. If you're in pain, I can be in prayer. If you're in bondage, the church can be in prayer. If you're in, if you're in depression, the church can be in prayer. If you're in trouble, the church can be in prayer. Therefore, what could happen if for every one person in need, Peter was the only one in prison, but the Bible says many had gathered together praying. One in prison, many in prayer. 
Therefore, what would happen if for every one person in need, we had at least two or three in prayer? Did not Jesus say, if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. I'm going to move on to my sermon in just a minute. But can I just encourage the church? Amen. Not every sermon may be for you. Amen. But your trip to the altar, your prayer of faith, may be what compels the one in need. For everyone in trouble. Oh, that we could get two or three or four together in prayer and call down the glory of God in the midst of their trouble. Of course, it wasn't a one-time prayer. Don't have time to preach all that. It wasn't, a, it wasn't one, one prayer meeting and that's all there was. But the Bible says prayer was made without ceasing. I'm sure there were moments of, of great expectation. I'm sure there were moments of faith. And I'm sure there was moments of discouragement. Yet the entire week long that Peter sat in prison, that church remained unceasingly in prayer. Maybe there's someone in this building today that you're a little bit discouraged because you've been praying for that deliverance for seven Sundays and it hasn't happened yet. You hear this preacher, amen. You ought to make up in your mind, I'm going to pray until it happens. I'm going to pray and when the answer doesn't come, I'm going to pray again. I'm going to trust God and when he doesn't come through according to my expectation I'm going to trust him again because I believe that while we're praying God is working not only did God act on Peter's behalf as a result of what the church could do but God required Peter to act himself. The Bible says that after the angel of the Lord broke through the darkness of that dungeon, the angel told Peter in that seventh verse of Acts chapter 12, the angel said, Arise up quickly. Ladies and gentlemen, it did not matter. How many miracles God performed in order to get where Peter was. The completion of Peter's deliverance hinged completely not on God, but it hinged completely on Peter's obedience. We like to tell ourselves that I'm just waiting on the Lord, that it's all up to God in His timing. There comes a point, ladies and gentlemen, where God throws the ball back into our court. 
And God will always do what only God can do. But you and I must do what only you and I can do. Therefore, if there was to be deliverance on death row, there must first be obedience. Peter I've come as far as showing up in the midst of your prison, but you're going to have to pick yourself up. So I come today, certainly no angel, and my wife will say amen, but certainly I come as a messenger from God to, to, to just maybe one or two people in this room today. Amen, I've come to call you up off of your prison floor and tell you that you can arise from where you have been living and God can lead you into a place of freedom and deliverance. Don't listen to the lie of the enemy that would say you cannot be delivered. You cannot be set free. You cannot live that apostolic lifestyle that is so wonderful and full of joy. That devil is a lie. There's not one individual that is so captivated in sin that God cannot set them free. You want to see what God can do? Get up. You want to go somewhere with God? Get up. You want to do something for God? Peter, get up. Don't stay in your prison house. Don't wallow there in your sorrow. Don't don't let fear keep you from acting in faith. I said it a moment ago and I'll say it again. God will always do what only God can do. But you must do what only you can do. The angel that showed up, the angel took care of the soldiers. The angel took care of the chains. The angel took care of the iron gate that was bolted and locked. But Peter had to put his own belt on. That's what the Bible says. I didn't make that up. Peter had to put his own belt on. He had to buckle his own sandals. He had to put his coat around his own shoulders. God didn't do all of those things for him. Therefore, Peter's involvement was just as vitally important as God's involvement. I'm convinced that when the direction was given by the angel for Peter to arise, I'm convinced especially taking into consideration the rash and radical personality of one like Peter. I'm convinced that Peter jumped up from where he was and in a hurry began to look for his shoes and began to pick up his coat and he hurriedly got ready saying if heaven waits, they're not going to be waiting on me. 
Oh, I wonder if there would be one in this building today that would make up in your mind, I'm not going to keep heaven waiting anymore. What God has given me to do, I'm not going to hesitate. I'm not going to hold back. But I'm going to do everything that I can do to see this miracle brought to pass in my life. I I truly believe that's that's where many of us are at today. We are not waiting on God. We are one act of faith away from seeing a miracle in our life. I believe there could be someone here today that you are one trip to the altar away from a deliverance that you have prayed for for years. God will do what only God can do, but you and I must do what only we can do. Only God could go to a cross, shed innocent blood, purchase our forgiveness. Only God could do that. No other sacrifice was worthy. Only God could do that. Yet, He has given unto you and I the task of obedience. And that is, we must repent. His shed blood doesn't automatically apply atonement to our lives. We must do what only we can do. God can't repent for you. Mom and dad can't pray the prayer of repentance on your behalf. Every individual, regardless of age, regardless of your background, every individual must must understand and recognize their own personal responsibility. God did what only he could do. I must pray the prayer of repentance. That I can receive the forgiveness of sin that was purchased by his blood on Calvary. Only, and I'm hurrying, only, only God could go to the grave and take back the keys of death and of hell. Only he could spoil principalities and powers. But unto us he has given the task of being buried with him in baptism. That's what you can do. Being buried with him in baptism, having the name of Jesus Christ called over your life. I know I said it a moment ago, and and I'm hurrying, but... If you have never been baptized in Jesus' name, maybe you were baptized some, somewhere in your past and you're not sure if the name of Jesus would call, was called, can I tell you it is vitally important that the name of Jesus be spoken over your life. It is vitally important that we take on His name because it is the name that washes our sin away. It's it's not the water. It's not the preacher's handkerchief. It is the name above every other name. Thirdly, only, only God manifests in the flesh. Only Jesus 
could be resurrected up out of the grave on the third day. Nobody else has done it. No other God has died and raised himself back to life. Only God could do that. But yet you and I, unto us he has given the opportunity of being filled with the same spirit that raised Christ up from the dead. It's not automatically available just because he got up out of the grave. You and I must do what we can do. We must repent. We must be baptized in Jesus' name and therefore receive the forgiveness, amen, of of his blood and be filled with his spirit. That is what you can do. And I close. This story in Acts 12 is... It's a great story. It's got every twist and turn that a good story possesses. It's even got, it's even got humor, Brother Lichtel. Peter, after standing there in the street and recognizing that he only got into this, this freedom, this He only got out of his prison cell on the account of God showing up. He quickly decides if if they threw me in once, they'll throw me in again. I better run and hide. So Peter goes to the home of John Mark's mother where prayer was being made. Peter begins knocking on the door. And there's a, a young girl by the name of Rhoda Rhoda comes to the door and many believe standing on the inside of that door Rhoda asks who is it? To which Peter responded by making his identity known. And Rhoda in all of her excitement she runs back into the prayer meeting to let everyone know Peter is here. Peter, he's here. Yet she forgot to let Peter in. (laughs) Now, I know I've got to hurry, but I don't know if Rhoda's mom and dad did to her what my mom and dad would have done to me if I'd have went to yelling during a prayer meeting. (laughs) Yet nevertheless, the church comes to the conclusion that that's not just his spirit. That's not just Peter's angel. He indeed is at the door. They let Peter in and Peter tells them what has happened by the powerful hand and intervention We can be, we can, we can treat that praying church quite cruelly. Because while they were praying, the answer to their prayer was at the door. I've heard that preached. I'm not saying that's wrong at all. There, there, there's something to be learned there. 
I'm, I'm of the opinion that the church, after seven days of praying, through the night in fact, it wasn't that the church had lost faith. They stayed up all night. That takes faith. They stayed up all through the night, most likely praying for the trial that was to happen tomorrow. They prayed all night long, God, tomorrow would you intervene? Tomorrow would you somehow turn the tide of that trial and set Peter free? Yet God seemed to illustrate a powerful principle that while the church was most likely praying for something to happen at another time, God wanted to prove, I can do it right now. While they were praying for tomorrow, God was answering their prayer in the moment. And I say all of that. That's not really where I was planning to end today. I say all of that, amen, to reach for some soul in this building today. Perhaps you know that deliverance is possible for your life. Perhaps you've come to believe that freedom truly is yours. But you've put it off to another Sunday, another date on the calendar, some, some futuristic moment. I believe God wants me to tell you today it can happen right now. If you've got enough faith to believe it can happen tomorrow, you've got the faith to believe it can happen right now. If you've got the faith to believe that it can happen next month or or after the new year, you've got enough faith to step into that miraculous intervention of God right here today. Stand with me if you would. Peter was free, but oh, Herod Agrippa. Agrippa was angry and frustrated, upset. So much so that Agrippa flees town and goes down to Caesarea, where there in another city, in another place, he once again begins using his power. And political manipulation to ooh and all to cater to the crowds. The end of Acts chapter 12 tells that Herod Agrippa adorns himself in a, a garment that would shine and shimmer in the sunlight. And then sitting in front of the people, he delivers a ornate speech, tickles their ears. And the people respond to Agrippa's words saying, Surely it is the voice of a God and not of a man. Agrippa had felt like anything but a God back in Jerusalem. Therefore now, He sits back and he enjoys the praises of the people to him as a God. And in so many words, the Bible says that Herod Agrippa was stricken with a deadly disease. 
And in a matter of days, Herod Agrippa was dead. I believe if my memory serves me correctly, the Bible even notates that the worms ate at his flesh. Yet the word of the Lord grew and multiplied. I say all of that to say as I close. It was as though God finally executed judgment and vengeance upon not only Herod Agrippa for his evil persecution of the church, but for some 45 years, the lineage of Herod's family, back to Herod the Great who tried to kill Jesus at his birth, For some 45 years throughout the Gospels and up to Acts 12, the lineage of that family of rulers had consistently and faithfully set themselves against Christ and His church. Yet it's though in Acts 12 as if God said this 45 year thing is about to come to an end. I'm going to bring judgment and vengeance upon Agrippa was he the first or second I think he was the second I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring judgment and vengeance upon him because this 45 year streak is over now Agrippa I believe it was the third we'd, we'll later read about him in, in the 20 something chapter of Acts Paul goes before him they remained in power but they lost that that vicious vexing streak against the church because in one moment God brought a 45 year battle to a screeching halt and when it seemed as though nothing could defeat Agrippa when it seemed as though nothing was greater than Agrippa God said, I'll always be greater than anything that would stand against my purpose and my plan. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost in this room. I don't know what the Agrippa is in your life. It may have a different name. It may look very different from Herod Agrippa in Acts 12. But whatever that thing is in your life that stands between you and the fulfillment of God's divine purpose for your life, I'm telling you on this Sunday morning, there is a God of heaven that is in this room today. He is greater. He is stronger. And however long you've been afflicted, God is able to bring that struggle to an end today. God's able to take care of your enemy today. If it's addiction, God can break the chains of addiction in this service. I know I preached too long. I'm done. God can break the chains of fear and depression in this service today. Whatever has tormented your mind and lied to you and ensnared you in deception, God is able to take care of that enemy today. You say, preacher, you don't understand. You're new here. 
I've fought this for 20 years. 20 years is nothing for God. It matters not how long that Agrippa in your life has ruled and reigned. God was in authority. God was on his throne long before that. And I believe God has stepped into this room today to serve notice to your adversary. Hey, devil, your day is over. Can I say that again, devil? Your day is over. You've ruled long enough. I told you, I don't know who it is I'm preaching to, but I'm reaching for somebody. These altars are open. Devil, your day is over. Depression, you've had your day. I declare a new day to now begin. Addiction, you've had your time, and I say your season has come to an end today. There is freedom in this place right now. I wish I had someone that would run to this altar today and say, I'm not going to let a, let a grip of rule in my life any longer. I'm not going to be comfortable in chains. I'm not going to live in a prison. I'm not going to be subject to an evil ruler. I serve a God that is greater than Agrippa. He's able to bring my enemy to an end.